you know, I haven't checked the mail in weeks. I can't <laughs> remember the last time I did, and at this point, I'm kind of scared to. Why? Because like I don't box. know what's in there. <laughs> I don't know what's in there. It's all the bills. It's probably mail. It's, uh, it, and yeah, it's going to be bills. and. Uh, you probably got some Christmas cards in there. Christmas cards. <laughs> I uh, also jury duty. Oh, it could be. <laughs> yeah. I haven't checked. If I don't know it's there, then I don't have to worry about it. Oh, we saw the new Spider-Man movie. Not, I'm not giving any spoilers. There is a somber, blissful moment um, where they're in a cemetery, right? And I am always blissful in a cemetery. <laughs> it's like, oh, mm, mm, while it's happening. And then during this moment, while, while they're in a cemetery staring at a headstone, this like five-year-old in the front of the theater goes... <laughs> and just starts laughing because like obviously they were bored but everyone oh, else is like kind of teary-eyed and i just like the whole theater started laughing and because it was funny you know we're all at fart jokes <laughs> but um you know and then he tried to do it a couple more times after that because he realized such a he got a big laugh so why not try it again mm. and i'm just like uh, yeah. all right that's enough kid he needs to learn the rules of comedy you can't overdo the joke yeah, yeah. so that was pretty entertaining Timing. so yeah movies are terrible anyways have you watched any movies lately jake I saw the new Ghostbusters. Was it good? It was good. I really enjoyed it. They, if you've seen the first movie, it continues off of that storyline, so it's got all the original characters. But not the Ghostbusters too. No, they kind of they they ignored that one. They ignored that that (laughs) they ignored that story arc. Kind of probably to what? No, it wasn't bad. It was just probably easier for them to write off the first movie and just eliminate a bunch of plot holes and other Mm -hmm. other stuff. So that makes sense. But it was good, and uh, of course, Harold Ramis has been dead for several uh, several years now. He's the guy that played Egon, mm-hmm. but I think they did him good. I'll watch anything that Paul Rudd's in. <laughs> yeah, he was in there. <laughs> hey, wasn't he voted like sexiest man alive in twenty twenty one? Probably something like that. He should have got it for years. Jake knows. Jake's was like, yeah, I Jake's voted like, for him. Yeah, I got that issue of the article, actually. It's at my house, framed. <laughs> We're going to have to get one now and put it in the podcast room. <laughs> A framed photo of Paul Rudd. I'm sure Victoria, there's one on eBay. Victoria, write that down. She's she, Victoria's been going back and listening to our old episodes, and she's like, do you remember the time that you talked about this? No. I'm like, no. Nope. Not at all. <laughs> she said... Do you remember what episode the purse full of rocks story was? That was for me. <laughs> I said I told her that. Well, I Ian made That's her listen story. to that episode. No, it was my story. Oh wait, you had a purse full of rocks? Yeah, Victoria did. Oh, to hit was you a, with. N- to hit you me, with. No, she's me. hitting German, German oh, boys. Yes. Okay. Yeah, there was an episode where we were talking about if we've ever been in a fight, and I said, I haven't really, mm-hmm. but Victoria fought for me. She filled up her purse full of rocks because the German boys were shooting me in the ass with their BB guns, and she beat this child with a purse full of rocks. <laughs> <laughs> and so her, her husband listens more than she does or did at that point in time and so he was like victoria i didn't know this about you and made her listen to it and she was like wow i don't even remember that and i was like how can you not remember abusing a child (laughs) yeah (laughs) she just is like this is normal for me so i don't i don't know anyways i tried to figure out what episode it was i'm not sure i said it was probably the misfits cheeseburger incident one because they got in a fight over the cheeseburgers maybe oh i learned a thing a spoonerism have you heard of a spoonerism no it is where we're talking about Paul Rudd, or you could say Raw Pud, oh, like where right. you mix the first like, like letters. Billy Joel, Jilly Bowl, Jilly Bowl. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I, my favorite. 
I think I don't know if I mean I do it a lot mm-hmm. but I don't know because I just attribute it like my brain sometimes works faster than my mouth does which is surprising because my mouth runs pretty freaking fast <laughs> That's um, true. but I was doing it at work the other day on accident and my coworker was like oh yeah it's a spoonerism so we looked it up and there's a Shel Silverstein book called Runny Babbit okay which is like bunny, bunny rabbit, rabbit. Mm. the whole book is written like that and I was reading it out loud to my parents and my mom's like, I don't know what you're saying, but I like effortlessly could flow through it because like I do it every day. <laughs> However, we were at work and then trying to like do it to everything else that we were doing for the rest of the day. This was Christmas like Eve. like Latin. I went to go throw something into a box, but it was the wrong one. So I kept saying bong rocks. <laughs> 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 and my coworker was like, can you stop saying that so loudly? And I was like, no, I have no inside voice. Um, and then it got to the point where we were talking about the books that were in the store. And she goes for the Artemis Fowl book. She said, Fartemis Owl. <laughs> <laughs> So for the for like solid two hours as we were like closing up the store and like getting ready to leave, we were just doing that. And it was really fun. You just remind me. Remind me. Past tense of remind. Yeah, sure. You just remind me of an experience that I had um, because I've always said water bottle instead of water bottle because it's fun. Yeah. (laughs) Jake likes it. Jake gets it. I didn't know that there was a name for it. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, And I was like, I've just been like attributing it to like me having somewhat of dyslexia. And it turns out it's like a high functioning form of dyslexia. Because you're not switching the so whole... So you're the not whole, a complete idiot. Right. <laughs> Just a high-functioning one. Yeah, because I looked it up and it said that... Um, hang on. Why are we talking about this? Because I learned something oh, and you right, said that right, was the right, first time. Right. Anyway, we're just talking. You know, this is our bullshit. Right, Brittany? Anyway. Brit- we're including this bullshit section in for Brittany. Who said she liked there. it. Do you guys like it? Our shulbit. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. You'll have to tell us if you hate it. You'll have to join our Facebook group and tell us. Gaysbook fruit. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to join our Gaysbook fruit. Uh, we should probably we should probably you kick this episode off. Huh? Yes, this episode and this fucking season. Brent. Yes. So make this one special, more special than your other intros. Fucking don't do pressure it. me. I was going to do don't something. Sing a song. I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, get ready for season four of Death by Music Podcast. That's right. We're starting this one off with the uh, infamous 1990s black metal uh, scene in Norway. Murders. (laughs) My throat. That was not okay. Cassie's shocked and appalled. She's got her arm around her Clutching my pearls. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's going to be the expectation from now on. You know that, right? Uh, No, that was just just the opening for season four. This is a good idea. You'll have to open each episode in the genre, in the style of the artists that we're covering. I felt like we were at the... The scope watching the uh, the wrestling match. That's I was I was going for the announcer sound, but True. no, I did. That turned I out better that. than it did in my head. So, um, yeah, this is officially season four. We're about we've been a podcast for just about a year now, which is fucking awesome. Wow, that this has worked, that we've stuck with it. Because those of you who have followed us from before this show, which it's only a handful, 
um, me and Cassie initially tried to do a podcast a couple years ago. It fucking sucked. And <laughs> we, we're cool. The content was not. We were arguably not cool either. Uh, wow. <laughs> All right. Well, I was cool. I don't know what Alex was doing. I was not cool. No, we tried. We tried in like, I don't know, 2018 and it was fucking awful. And we took a couple years off, regrouped and came back in 2021 and uh, came up with this and you guys have made it into something so much bigger and we really appreciate you for listening through all this time if you're new here fucking welcome bitches um <laughs> we love you hi <laughs> hi i'm alex i'm cassie i'm jake we are death, death by, by music, music podcast, podcast. Team, team fans <laughs> we've never done that before so please forgive us <clears throat> um as jake mentioned today we are talking about the De- the black metal murders of the Don't 1990s. You dare say death metal. I know. I'm sorry. I think I just said it because I'm fucking dumb. Um, the black True. metal murders of the 1990s in Norway. This was very highly requested for some reason. So <laughs> we're going to talk about it. Yeah, um, I'm sure all of our Scandinavian listeners are like, "Oh, not this shit again." We're <laughs> so tired of it. <laughs> I'm but sure we're not still to- listening. Yeah. Well, we do have a lot of Scandinavian listeners, actually. Yeah. It took so. me about halfway through to realize that the guy's name was not Euronymous. <laughs> <laughs> I was putting way too many letters in his name, and then I was like, "Oh, it's just Euronymous." Euronymous. Uh, yeah, Sweden is. Great. One, two, three, four, five. Number six on our countries we love that listen to us. Sweden, Netherlands after that, Norway's like number ten. So um we love you too. No, yeah. we do. We do. We're gonna talk shit about some people from your places though. So I'm sure you guys are familiar with this story and we're probably not gonna tell you anything new that you don't already know, but hopefully it's we'll say it in English. <laughs> yeah. And that's more than you probably heard. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> Anyways. So there were a lot of murders in this whole fucking thing. We're going to go over the history kind of of black metal, where it came from, the scene in Norway at the time. Like, what was everybody doing? Cassie's really stressed out over here. She is just <laughs> I've got this, fidgeting. First of all, this landed on my arm earlier, and I thought it was a bug. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've got some tassels hanging off my front side. <laughs> and uh, hey. it's, look at how uneven this is. <laughs> Can you do the helicopters? <laughs> like reverse helicopter blades? I'm completely naked in this chair except She's for my tassels. Titty tassels. <laughs> okay, so this is going to be a two-parter, we're fairly certain, especially because the intro has been 20 minutes now, but I'll cut some of it out. It's fine. Yeah. By the time you no, get it, it will not be 20 minutes. We're doing um, this for Brittany. For Brittany. <laughs> Thanks, bitch. If you if you guys hate it, it's Brittany's fault. Yeah, blame her, not us. She's the one who told us to talk more mm-hmm. organically. <laughs> so here we are, and wow, it's a fucking it's a shit show. Lot to cover. So there are three, no, or three deaths. Four? One suicide, two murders. One suicide, two bunch murders. Of church burnings. And so we're gonna break this into two parts. There is a trigger warning for self harm that we're gonna get to in this first half, uh, which is it's pretty fucking brutal. Yeah. Don't Google search anything you don't want to see. Bucking Frutal. <laughs> Thank you, Cassie. It will, be, into it, now. it will be Bucking Frutal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> None of this makes sense. All right, so let's get into our sources for today. I got this book. I've been buying books and reading them lately, which I got. I can't tell you the last time I read a book before this fucking podcast. I got you a book. 
you did get me a book i do have to read it um okay so i used black metal the evolution of the cult by dale patterson wikipedia bbc.com what happened to your arm jake i was trying to make human crackling what what i burnt myself on an (laughs) exhaust manifold (laughs) (laughs) oh it was literally i was like reaching down and like okay well that's the end of that skin well that sucks it looked like you had a hickey on your wrist. Weird. It's very awkward placements. I used uh, loudwire.com, who really invented corpse paint. No author. WebMD.com, what is Cotard syndrome by Linda Rath. And TheGuardian.com, in the face of death by Chris Campion. Cool. So like we said, trigger warnings for self-harm and violence and brutality and evil. Let's get started. Black metal's origins can be traced back to the 1980s, with the first wave of black metal being pioneered by bands like Venom, Bathory, Merciful Fate, and Hellhammer. Black metal is commonly super fast with, like, shrieking and screaming, high-pitched vocals, distorted guitars, and uh, it's been recorded (laughs) on a potato. Yeah, not the cleanest recordings you'll ever hear. Uh, Some of the early stuff can be really harsh and sometimes difficult to listen, listen to. I came here to save it. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little, you mean? Yeah, yeah. We all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. 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 Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit. Right with this I got lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I don't, don't play with it. Play with it. No. Take that shit serious. No offense to anyone that can handle their thrash. This but, is black, not thrash. Uh, but it's Big still difference. thrashful. You said it's super fast. It's this. It's like it all sounds the same to someone like me. I will tell you that. My brain can't <laughs> comprehend it. It's like trying to make sense of patterns and there isn't any. It's like jazz, but worse. <laughs> so Cassie Cassie is the That's color commentator a- here because she has no interest or desire or or um, whatever. She don't give a fuck about metal. It hurts my brain. So please take what she says with a grain of salt, especially when she calls it thrash you don't want the you don't want the mob coming after you cassie that's, i don't want any mobs an i have enough anxiety to begin with although the black metalers <laughs> did respect the thrash metalers they did not like the death metalers they didn't but hold we'll, hands and skip. we will get there okay a lot of black metal bands lacked the funding for high-tech equipment so there is a certain diy aspect to their recording process plus if the music sounds like shit then the normies won't listen to it, and it will always remain underground. Like, forever. Yeah. Some of this stuff has never seen the light of day. It's still li- uh, living in its parents' basement. Like potatoes. <laughs> yeah. Underground. It's a good place to keep them, nice and cool and dry, and they last forever. <laughs> so, Gall, former frontman of Gorgoroth. Gorgoroth is a Norwegian black metal band based in Bergen, formed in 1992. I figured Thank they you, should Cassie. need some context, because yes. I was like, Gorgoroth. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so Gall said that black metal's early in black metal's early years, it was never meant to reach an audience. It was purely for our own satisfaction. So do this because you think it's cool, but while also caring way too much about what other people think is metal or not. We're looking at you, metal elitists. Yeah, I feel it's super hard though to gatekeep metal, 
especially from a DIY perspective, because the genre doesn't really have any boundaries. So what do they classify as like, oh, this can't be and this is or isn't? It's uh... well, the Norwegian black metal scene is very particular about the sounds, the specific sounds of the music, Mm -hmm. the looks and the attitudes. Now, from an outside perspective, you're, you're looking at it. You're seeing all the same stuff. Yeah. If you're in there, you can tell the difference between the sound of the music, you know, the way people dress, you know, they're all wearing their leathers and shit, but there's differences. Oh, that, yeah. <laughs> no, they're definitely and, yeah, their attitudes, <laughs> like they, they had a very specific attitude they were looking okay. for. Like Gall said, it, it wasn't really oh, meant oh. for, <laughs> Gaul. Sorry. wasn't really meant for uh, anyone else but them. Yeah. They saw the metal world around them being more mainstream. They, they didn't want that. They didn't really want people knowing about it. It wasn't meant to be popular for anybody to even really know about it. It was their own little uh, microcosm, if I'm using that term correctly, mm-hmm. in the metal world. They they didn't like the the, the, mm. the Motley Crue's and the Van Halen's and stuff like that. I would never consider Motley Crue metal. <laughs> oh my they, God, they're literally hair metal. Anyway. But yeah, but they, yes. it was stuff but like that t- that they were they against. Did, these guys, when they were doing this, did not expect us 30 years later to be doing a podcast yeah they're they're trying to keep the hipsters from coming in and destroying it yeah so many black metal musicians would wear corpse paint which is the black and white face paint that looks kind of demonic and no we're not talking about kissing alice cooper but we'll get to that in a bit yes the first wave of black metal bands did contain a lot of satanic references in their lyrics but it was more for shock value other common lyrical themes include death, war, nature, and catastrophe. They're really just pushing to be the most extreme and the most shocking. Not that hard to do back in the 80s, me thinks. Yeah. Me, me, Ab- me agrees. Absolutely not. <laughs> Some black metal bands are known for the use of animal blood, fake crucifixions, and impaled animal heads in their live shows or rituals. The sound and look and whole vibe of black metal is to be provocative, extreme, and authentic. It sounds hypocritical when you're telling me that all the Satan talk is for show, but that's pretty unauthentic. That's a good point. That I thought you point. were going to get mad at me. No, no, no. That's a good fucking point. No, these guys are nerds. Yeah. They're fucking nerds. So basically what they wanted to do was just piss people off the most. So they didn't necessarily believe in Satan, but they right. knew that it pissed people off. So in their world, talking about all of this stuff to make people mad is them being authentic. Even though they don't actually believe in it, because right, it's like, very like it's not real, so let's just be surface level. Yeah, oh, yeah. They're let's not just be assholes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but they basically it was a retaliation to the other metal of the '80s, which was like hair metal, glam metal, whatever. They wanted yeah, to be it, metal, metal, not it, commercial. It's funny to to think about retaliating from something that's already retaliatory. Yeah. They but were then like, when that's you think about enough. it, they were retaliating against glam and hair, like we just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. So it, I'm yawning. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so I put a picture of. No, just no. read the quote. You Am I not mentally enough for the metal club? <laughs> I saw that movie in theaters in like sixth grade or whenever it came out. I saw it in theaters. I don't. I still don't. We already talked about this. We've talked about Master. It would have had to before. be like 2003. So elementary school. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Geez. Master of Disguise is probably the last movie I saw in theaters. <laughs> no. <Nuh-uh. laughs> just kidding. No, it's not. <laughs> I did fucking love that. Okay, so anyways, Venom is a band, and they first coined the term black metal with their 1982 album, Black Metal. It was pretty speed and thrash sounding, but this was the first album to really focus on anti-Christianity and Satanism. I don't know if I'm conveying this thought correctly, but while I understand what they're getting at, you can't be anti-Christianity 
and into Satanism because they're both part of the Judeo-Christian mythos. That's true. If you acknowledge the satanic side of things and that Satan is real, you're still acknowledging that God exists. So, so does yes, that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And that is something with Satanists that is interesting because people, Satanists don't actually believe in Satan. They're just doing they're, it to piss people they're doing off. it right, yeah. yeah. Just, they're just being trolls about it because yeah. it's the opposite side of the Christian yeah, there's spectrum. There's the Church of Satan, which is like Anton LaVey. They are more like spiritual Satanists and they, I think, actually believe in Satan, which is like basically confirming that Christianity exists. And then there's the Satanic Temple, which is completely atheistic. They do not believe in God. They do not believe in Satan. Um, these guys were just like, yeah, fuck God. Satan's cool. Hell yeah. And... um. There was really no substance to it. Venom. The, we'll we'll get to all of it, but yes, you are, you are right. By acknowledging Satan is real, you're also acknowledging that God must be real too. Mm-hmm. Cassie's like, what in the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Venom, this band did not actually take the satanic aspect seriously. It was like we said, more of something to just piss people off and be rebellious. To put this in their lyrics again. Unauthentic. <laughs> They're being authentic to pissing people off. Sure. Right. And these groups that come out and force thinking something bad is going to happen to society or their children or whatever, they're they're just full of shit. It's like, calm the fuck down. They're literally a bunch of trolls. Yeah. So the the people reacting to the Satanists, in quotes. Yes. So um, Venom, they also came up with stage names and evil, brutal personas. Uh, Bathory of Sweden followed suit with more anti-Christian themes and shrieking vocals, releasing what many consider to be the first true black metal album king diamond of merciful fate also influenced the norwegian scene with corpse paint lyrical content and on-stage imagery now before i get into the next section while we're on the subject of king diamond and merciful fate who we just mentioned it's strange that weird l hasn't really dabbled in the world with black metal parodies is it strange or (laughs) (laughs) however he did include metallica's enter sandman on poke your eyes out on his off the deep end album metallica on their Garage Inc. album, included a song called Merciful Fate, which is a medley of songs by Merciful Fate, and is excellent. Go check it out. It is so fucking good. Like, I, listening to Garage Inc. by Metallica, listened to that, and I I didn't know Merciful Fate Mm -hmm. when I was first exposed to this album, and I, I listened to that medley, and I was like, yo, this shit is good. This original must be really good so i was trying to find the original song and then i realized it was a compilation of like eight different merciful yeah, fate songs it's most of their first album i think yeah it was a lot of really really good stuff so now i'm just like fucking hell yeah merciful fate on my they way got a, they have an interesting sound uh king diamond's got that falsetto that he does yeah. and it's really different from anything it's else cool. out there it's really cool. now another side note on king diamond um the first well i went to a kiss concert with my mom and i decided this is on the note of corpse paint, the black and white face paint. I got her tickets to go see Kiss. And then I was like, I'm going to go, but I'm going to paint my face like King Diamond. And she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. No one's going to get it. And I was like, they either won't get it and they'll think I'm dressed like someone from Kiss or they will get it and they'll know that I'm King Diamond. Either way, I'm fucking going to laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went to a Mexican restaurant before. I've got a fucking merciful face face paint on. I'm wearing all black. I have a top hat. I have like a cape. <laughs> We're in a Mexican restaurant and these old ladies are drinking and they're like, oh my God, Ace Freely. And I was like, <laughs> we were walking to the arena where the concert was. And as soon as we get to the crosswalk, somebody's like, motherfucking King Diamond. Yeah. And I was like, fuck yeah. Like the first person that we saw it, she was like, what? 
I just don't understand it. The radio station wanted to talk to me. Oh my god! <laughs> there was a dude inside with a King Diamond shirt that was like, "Oh my god, can I take your picture?" And then we went to the concession stands, and this other dude who was like as old as my mom was like, "I just love this. I just love this so much. Let me buy your next round." And I was like, "Oh well." I'm getting a drink. She was going to get food. And he was like, that's fine. I'll pay for it. And it was like $40. And he was like, oh, shit. So on to uh, the origins of corpse paint. I have a little history here. And just a little bit of history on corpse paint and just face paint and rock and metal in general. Uh, The earliest example cited for what would later evolve into what is known as corpse paint is a man named Arthur Brown in the mid late 60s when he would use black and white face paint uh, with a burning headdress. Uh, yes, it was on fire. You can check out a video of him uh, performing this song, Fire, on YouTube. Really cool and weird stuff, especially for the 60s. It's got that... You just go watch it. <laughs> okay. It's strange. Ar- Arthur Brown. Yeah, Arthur Brown. Go check him out. Um, he wasn't doing it to be satanic, but certainly for more of a theatrical effect and part of his performances and onstage persona. That's a key word here. Mm-hmm. Moving on, we have 70s shock rocker Alice Cooper. He had started using face paint to enhance his stage performance. He didn't use the black and white motif we would generally associate with corpse paint, but he did have black circles around his eyes with downturned lines at the corners of his mouth. You know, it's it's more of a yeah. variation of uh, a clown, which is said to have been the inspiration uh, after they saw a picture of a clown in a hotel room uh, in New York. <laughs> Again, nothing evil about the intentions of his use of face paint, just something to enhance his onstage persona and theatrics. I will say, having been a theater kid in high school, the dark <laughs> lines and even just eyeliner or adding, if you're older, adding like wrinkles to your face, they would put more on so that people from farther away could see you. It was like part mm-hmm. of the performance art. So obviously, as a big rock star, you've got all these lights shining on you and stuff, but it just accentuates the scarier features. Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I completely understand the dramatics of that. Yeah. And Alice Cooper always had like pretty crazy stage shows. Mm-hmm. He'd yeah. like hang himself at the end of the show and all this <laughs> crazy <laughs> shit. Yeah, it was nuts. Anyways. You wanted the best. You got the best. The hottest band in the world. Kiss. Cassie, you were supposed to chime in on that. <laughs> this wasn't here when I first went back. Yeah, it was. That was in there from the beginning. <laughs> no, it was not. Yes, it was. Was uh, it? Oh, my gosh. It was. was I in some just like... So was the picture. Uh, land. <laughs> Go yes, ahead. Yes, the one that everybody uh, listening is probably thinking about, Kiss, is certainly famous for their wild outfits, over-the-top performances, and, of course, their easily recognizable face paint. Looking to make a name for themselves and stick out from the crowd, they created comic book-inspired personas. This included Gene Simmons as The Demon, <laughs> Paul Stanley as Star Child, Ace Freely as Space Ace, and Peter Chris Kitten. as Catman. <laughs> I love the sound effects. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sure he gets pissed at people making fun of him, too. Rear. Yeah. Uh, they used their makeup to hide their identities for about a decade. Uh, allegedly, according to Ace in an article by Rafael Polcaro on rockandrollgarage.com, they'd pay off photographers to prevent uh, pictures of them from being published. And also, the magazines seemed to kind of play along uh, as they were selling lots of magazines with the group all dressed up. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, at this point, it still wasn't called corpse paint. Obviously, the members of KISS weren't trying to look like they were dead. Quite the opposite again. 
theatrics on stage personas. Uh, on to the first wave of black metal circa the 1980s, early 80s. Merciful Fate frontman King Diamond, who we just spoke of, mm-hmm. uh, sported what could be considered the first corpse paint. They certainly had darker and more satanic themes to their music and image. Uh, although King Diamond's makeup went through a few iterations over the years, again, I still think it may have been more for theatrics and his persona because I don't think he was trying to look like a corpse. Fast forward to second wave black metal, circa late 80s, early 90s. Enter Pryngvi Olin, a.k.a. Dead, lead singer and vocalist of the Norwegian black metal band Mayhem. Even though other black metal bands had worn some kind of black and white face paint, I think from my reading... Mm-hmm. and a lot of other people's opinions, he is the reason it became known as Corpse Paint. Dead was obsessed with, take a wild guess. Hmm. That's right, Living. death. Oh. <laughs> Good guess, Cassie. Good guess. <laughs> Dang it. Yes, hence his stage name, Dead. Dead wanted to look like he was dead. He even would bury his clothes in the dirt and dig them back up just to have a grave smell. Mm-hmm. Mayhem's bassist, Necro Butcher, told The Guardian it wasn't anything to do with the way Kiss and Alice Cooper used makeup. Dead actually wanted to look like a corpse. He didn't do it to look cool. He would draw snot dripping out of his nose. That doesn't look cool. He called it corpse paint. I'm sorry, does mucus come out of your face when you're dead? What about snot insinuates death? I'm pretty sure you poop yourself when you die. Hey, maybe he was painting his butthole too. <laughs> what happened to my dog? Oh, oh my God, not- Cassie. <laughs> Thanks for bringing the story down. You're welcome. <laughs> anyway, we don't we don't need to talk about animals dying. Please continue That's talking about other people dying. Then That's too fine. Brutal. <laughs> too brutal. Uh, I have some modern day examples of course paint that I would like to share. Uh, a cool band to check out is Ritual Day. They are actually a Chinese black huh. metal band. Cool shit. You can't find them on Spotify, but if you're interested, you know, hit up the old YouTube's. Uh, they got a really cool look to them and of course they have some wicked corpse paint and I rather enjoy their music it's pretty cool stuff I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with Ghost I'm still not sure to make of their music but they look cool they do look very fucking cool Um, anyways frontman Tobias Forge uh, is well known these days for his demonic anti-pope persona Papa Emeritus and then there's another newer version of that which I can't remember the name of Cardinal Cardinal Copia that's what it is Copia or something Copia so for his pop emeritus, uh, he wears a pope hat, the robes, rocks the corpse paint. It looks like a Halloween costume. Yeah, like a, a like a clown. It looks like a skeleton. <laughs> what kind of clown are you looking at? He looks like a skeleton. <laughs> I thought pope. of it. But yeah, that's true. A dead pope. Yeah. The best kind. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we said something. I was with my parents yesterday, and they were discussing something about my grandfather, and they were like, "They got a priest to lie." I was like, "Oh, like it's hard." <laughs> She was like, we're rubbing off on her. Dig, high five. (laughs) Ow, my tooth. (laughs) She just head butted the microphone. Last but not least, I'd like to mention Varg. It's a German metal band, not black metal, but they're more Mm. in the Viking metal genre, uh, genre, which is interesting because Vikings are from Scandinavia. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they consider it to be corpse paint, but they were sporting uh, black and red paint, almost full body there. They for a all bit. look like Deadpool. I literally. Kind of, yeah, she. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Alex. I remember. I, I, I recommend checking no. out their uh, video, Das Ende aller Lugen. It includes the German version of Charlie Chaplin's famous speech from his film, The Great Dictator, oh. which is pretty cool to watch. Yeah, Jake posted a picture of this group, and they look like various multi parallel universe versions of Deadpool, <laughs> like how they just got spit out from other 
past and present future Deadpool. It's interesting <laughs> that they call themselves Varg, though. Varg, I believe that's a wolf that a... in Swedish. Oh, okay. So that's kind of like their whole thing. They're like fans are like the wolf pack and stuff like that. <laughs> Nerds. Yeah. That's what my fucking high school team was called. <laughs> Timberwolves, the wolf pack. Yeah. Didn't We've gone over someone else with the name Varg before. He's in the story. Yes, he's coming up, Cassie. I know that you're here recording this with us, but yeah, he's like a major part of this whole story, Varg. <laughs> like we said, Cassie is a, an observer in this whole thing. I I, I knew that I, name sounded yeah, familiar. Yeah, but I, that's because I've already read through. He's um, like the focal point of this one, but not before this. We have not talked no, we about him. We, haven't, we haven't touched on him yet, but okay. Varg will come up. All right. Maybe I was just hyping up this, the <laughs> listeners. Maybe they're like, I've heard that name. Just, yeah, you're the voice of the audience right now. Wait a minute, Varg. That sounds I did familiar. cite my sources, okay? That sounds familiar. Most of okay. this is just me riffing. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I did not think you could possibly find more in-depth information. Than um, I went into done. the church burning, so suck it. <laughs> okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. We're almost there. We're not almost there. We'll get there. In, now that you know about corpse paint. Corp we got to kind of go more into... Corpse can't. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> we got to go more into the scene in the early 90s in black metal. What was going on in Norway? Who were the early players? And then we'll get to the murders. In the 1990s in Norway, the second wave of black metal began with groups like Mayhem, Dark Throne, Burzum, Immortal, Satyricon, and Gorgoroth. These guys were extreme as fuck. They were very adamant about not just talking the talk, but walking the walk, too. Which meant summoning demons. Essentially. Okay. We'll get there. They hated Christianity, and they wanted to spread hatred and evil. Uh, some of them burned churches, which we will get into very soon here. Today, we are going to be mainly focusing on Mayhem and Burzum, their members, and their feud that ultimately ended in tragedy. And by today, I mean this Wednesday and next Wednesday. Getting into the formation of Mayhem. Mayhem is a band that would go on to become one of the most infamous infamous names in black metal history. They started off in 1984. How Orwellian of them. Jake also started off in 1984. You are. Shut up. <laughs> Direct reason. They'll, they'll learn too much about him. If they know the year he was born, they'll be able to find his real name. It's... <laughs> 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 just oh you should bleep that out like like i'm cussing okay <laughs> do it uh mayhem would go on to be associated with church burnings suicide satanism and the resurgence of black metal into the 90s it all started with a guy named yorn stuberud aka necro butcher on bass necro meaning relating to a corpse or death butcher meaning a person selling refreshments Refresh. newspapers <laughs> and other items on a train or in a stadium or theater. Not the meat slicer guy? That seems way more brutal. I've seen concession stand workers. I would not wish that torture on anyone. <laughs> Are, is this a joke? <laughs> I can't read the context clues. I don't know if you're joking. It's uh, Google butcher definition. I don't want to. It's, um, really? it's, the, it's the second definition. Down oh, the other I was over here like this man is over here slinging slabs of freshly cut meat off a corpse, and Ew. Jake's like he sells popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my uh, gosh! All right, so <laughs> Necro Butcher 
<laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Negro Butcher was just interested in music. He decided that it would be pretty cool to be a musician, but he didn't know anything about notes or about writing. So he invited his friend Kietel Menheim to join. And then Oyestein Arseth. You sound like the pigs AKA from you're, Shrek. Euronymous. I'm sorry. You sound like I the think pigs they're from German. Shrek. Yeah. They're like, yeah. <laughs> that's the voice you're doing. I'm sorry. That's the only one I know how. I've only lived in Germany. I've not lived in Norway. Okay. I'm trying my best with these names. I, Please, our Norwegian listeners, fine. tell me how badly I fucked them up. Oystein Arseth. Yes. His name Oystein Arseth. A.K.A. Euronymous. Euronymous. Uh, slightly different spelling and pronunciation, but in Greek mythology, Eurynomos was the netherworld daemon or spirit of rotting corpses dwelling in the underworld. Mm, perfect. So Euronymous lived just far enough from the other two guys, Mannheim and Necrobutcher, that he did not go to school with them, but they met by chance at a station as Necrobutcher was lost on his way to an audition. So the two realized that they had similar interests and musical tastes. So Euronymous was invited to join. Mayhem was formed by three kids in middle school. Their name came from a Venom song, the instrumental Mayhem with Mercy. They started off covering groups like Venom and Celtic Frost, but eventually started writing their own music. However, before they were even able to record anything, Buzz was going around about this new band out of Norway. You see, Euronymous was more of a PR guy than a sit-at-home-and-practice kind of guy. He was building up Mayhem as a brand, hyping it up, and adding to the mythology of it. Mayhem would be dark, brutal, satanic. Although none of the guys were actually satanic, as we said. They did use Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible for lyrical inspiration, but were more so using it because they were anti-society. Basically, they're famous, but they're not even playing songs yet. <laughs> to explain this further, a quote from Mannheim. He said, Everything that was extreme was good. Everything that could upset a Christian was good. Behind it was rebellion, which was nothing new to youth culture. But at the time, that was our expression. And it's not like we say it was all bullshit. It is something real there, but it's not based on Satanism and rituals and religion. On the contrary, it was more in opposition to people in power and people who don't believe that you are a free man who should be able to have free will. Of course, we use Christianity as an enemy in the expression, but if you lived in Norway, you would understand why. It, it, not much to understand there. That's pretty much the basis of most rock and metal. It's rebelling against the man and the institution, which for a lot of the world is government and religion and the people who run them, especially the ones who misinterpret and abuse those systems and force their wrong ideas onto others. Right. So I think this kind of circles back to what Cassie was saying, like, oh, well, they're being fake because they don't believe in this stuff. But mm. it's not even about the thing itself. It's about the rebellion. You know what I mean? Right. I understand that. But she's still... No. SMH, shaking my hand. No. <laughs> um, they're not saying the thing because they believe in the thing. They're saying it because when you zoom right. out and look at it, they're just saying, fuck you to the man. Right. But you can, you know, be rebellious and be against Christianity without associating yourself with some like Satanism. You yeah. Just but they like, I, I feel like that's the more extreme people, way. Yeah, but it's it. more fun. I'm atheist. Like is worse. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because if you tell someone, if you go to a Christian and you look them in the face and you're like, I'm sorry, I'm an atheist. They're like, uh-huh. but if you're like, I love Satan, they're like, uh-huh. either you know, way, like they're going to be reaction. like, I'll pray for you. <laughs> like your Tim Allen impression there. <laughs> <laughs> that happened on an episode before. Probably. Where, I still do it. Uh-huh. 
Mm-hmm. Thanks, Jake. Yeah. Uh, a little bit on uh, Anton LaVey, since you mentioned him a minute ago. True. Uh, he is credited with writing the Satanic Bible and being the father of modern Satanism. Now, first published in 1969, the Satanic Bible is not considered to be sacred scripture like the Christian Bible is, but it is an authoritative text for Levian Satanists. Believers are said to be atheistic Satanists, which means they believe God and Satan to be projections of one's personality, not separate external entities, which is what most people believe. Uh, So it's like having an angel on one shoulder and a demon on the other. If I'm understanding it correctly, they just kind of balance each other out. It's it's just projections of yourself. Okay. So in the tiny bit of research I did on the subject, uh, my first impressions are that LaVey was just some nerd who was into the occult and ended up uh, creating a a religion without it turning into a cult, a la Jim Jones or David Koresh. I am listening to a podcast right now where they're going into the Jonestown Massacre and the amount of stuff that Jim Jones was doing politically for the underprivileged community of like people of color prior to this Jonestown mm-hmm. massacre was insane. I read um, about that. Right. Like but he was very it, much in into integration and stuff like but that. It was like a power yeah. thing. But wasn't it just so he could gain control of them and add them to his cult? Yes, and he was it was You're like, the, here, let me help you. <laughs> yeah, he Join was cult. he was going for people that were like underserved by their communities and you know it was mainly like african-american women over 40 who had you know no health care because they started setting up right um medical things for them but like that's Medicare. what cults do they make you dependent on their cult right. so that you owe them and now you have to join and then right boom drank the kool-aid well on top peace. of that they were he was also getting um his followers to back certain political candidates mm-hmm. and do things using his power right. of being you know a pretty well-known guy and like backing those candidates who would then he would have in his pocket when it came to stuff for the church or for the community so he was like slowly it was like a power struggle to get all of these people involved and then he would also get a bunch of leverage on some of the men and women Um, Mm -hmm. by either like sleeping with them Uh, what was interesting was he would set up these kind of like focus groups and pull these people in and tell them to like take a cup or like he would pour them all wine and tell them to drink it and then immediately after he's like it was all poison you're all dying and they would freak out and then once they freaked out enough he'd be like i'm just kidding you're fine why would i do that to you so he was constantly mm. doing that to them. Training them. To, to not believe anything he said, really. Like, you couldn't believe anything that came out of his mouth at that point. So if he told you, he like... He desensitizing yes. them. Yes. Yeah. And so once they all got to Jonestown, they probably thought he was just lying again. So that's why they were like, well, he's done this to us six times prior. It's probably not actually... It's probably not poison. actually going to kill me when I drink this. And it was Flavor-Aid, not Kool-Aid. Thanks, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um... Anton LaVey's Satan religion, like I said, uh, didn't seem to turn into a cult. Uh, But you got to keep in mind that People's Temple and the Branch Davidians are heavily based on Christianity and consider themselves as such. To the best of my knowledge, which is very little, I don't remember ever hearing about the Church of Satan ever claiming false miraculous healings, Mm -mm. calling for mass suicide, or being involved with rape and child abuse and having shootouts with the government. I've never heard of that either. I that, think they just sat around in a in a hut and butt fucked each other, right? The Satanists probably. No, I'm pretty sure that's what they did. <laughs> yeah, that I mean, was, that's what they like doing. I think they were just having butt sex. <laughs> the other thing that got for for Jim Jones, where he got people to believe that he was, you know, a direct descendant in his church or whatever, and that he could talk to God, 
Um, he would set up or he would get his kids. He had adopted a bunch of kids, but he would set them up to where it looked like they would shoot him. Like he what? left his house. Somebody would like, like his child would shoot a gun, like a la in the air, not anywhere near him, but he would act like, like he got shot, shot and he would have like stained blood clothing what? and then tell people and then he would run off and then take his shirt off and be like, I'm healed. I healed myself. Oh, wow. Fucking liar. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's so messed up. Yeah. Anyways, LeVay just seems like a huge troll and a liar. Some of his writings and ideas are said to be just straight up plagiarized. Uh, he seemed to kind of take on aspects of his personality from things he saw on TV or whatever. Mm-hmm. And a good portion of the stories he told people were just straight up lies. Uh, no one can corroborate his stories with hard evidence. It was probably so. way easier to do that back then, too, because you didn't have like a digital trail of everything you've ever done. Right. Yeah. And it, but yeah, the people that go back and try to confirm, uh, was he at this location with Marilyn and Monroe before... No way you know, she would and, be in his Yeah, presence. everybody around her was like, no, we don't remember this that guy. He was never ass, here. bald fuck. <laughs> yeah. All right. So <laughs> back to the story. By 1986, Mayhem had released their first demo, Pure Fucking Armageddon. <laughs> Necro Butcher did vocals and recorded on a porta studio, so which the, is not a porta potty. Right. But it can I be. I mean, if you're clowncore. It, it does sound like it. <laughs> but Cassie will tell you more. Yeah, it's a portable studio. No, well, technically, it was the first four track recorder based on a standard compact audio cassette tape. The device is credited with launching the home recording wave, allowing musicians to cheaply record and produce music at home, and is cited as one of the most significant innovations in music production technology. The Porta Studio also enabled musicians to record several instrumental and vocal parts on different tracks of like on the system individually and then later blend the parts together while transforming them into the standard two-channel stereo tape deck. It's a pretty cool bit of tech. Yeah. I mean, I looked up a couple of them. Yeah, some of these had like XLR connections and like regular oh. eighth-inch jack and they, they had all the mixing controls and stuff. It was really cool looking. So only one side of the demo had vocals and it really sounded kind of murky. Uh, Kerrang, which is a metal magazine, described it as Celtic Frost's Tom Gabriel Warriors balls in a lawnmower. <laughs> they became proud of having the shittiest production ever because it was authentic. Yes, because investing in good quality equipment isn't authentic. Nope. I, I think it's authentic because the sound and equipment were accessible by a lot of other people at the time. Mm-hmm. So then they're not sounding like an overproduced hair metal band with like synth- yeah. synthesizers yeah. permanently attached to their hands. <clears throat> Van Halen. Um, so if you think <laughs> about rock now and like how everyone hates on Nickelback, or that sound was attainable through like overproduction and like being in the studio with people that were telling them, you know, Hey, this sounds good. It wasn't some guy in his own bedroom, like, producing his own stuff because he can right um now there are a lot of rock and indie artists going back to the old methods like reel-to-reel recording Uh and stuff like that because it sounds authentic to metal or rock of the time before right before computers had a handle and you could auto correct all of your pitches (laughs) Uh, i you know what i think i still have my talk boy stashed away someplace we should record shows on that we should make an album um talk boy from home alone Oh Remember? yeah, we <laughs> yeah. can like we can like record at a slow speed and, and uh, play back at normal. It'll be all high pitched or whatever. Back to the store. In oh, okay. 1987, Mayhem released their official uh, debut, which was called Death Crush. Soon they got a tape from a dude maniac who is currently working on a solo project called Septic Cunts. Isn't Love the title. <laughs> <laughs> if you're that interested, you can find this demo on uh, YouTube. Definitely a piece of black metal history. Also. 
if your junk has gone septic, maybe go see a doctor. Wow, thank you for well, that. What was the was it the Nirvana that had names like this? Anal cunt. Yeah, <laughs> I think that was the one that we covered. I don't remember. <laughs> Anal cunt is like a band name. Euronymous. Um, well, when Euronymous heard this solo project septic cunts he liked what he heard and he invited maniac to join mayhem on vocals they also had assistance from another dude called messiah they claim they weren't christian eh he's the anti-messiah it was apparently groundbreaking but had shitty reception with the public Uh, unbelievable with songs like chainsaw guts fuck but hey that's the goal right i rather enjoyed it the song or the act of the chainsaw yes Okay. Soon, Maniac and Messiah were out of the group, as well as Mannheim, who left to move in with his girlfriend and get a job. Okay. So just so we're all on the same page here, Necro Butcher started the group, mm-hmm. was joined by Mannheim and Euronymous. Yes. Maniac and Messiah later joined. Yes. But then Maniac, Messiah, and Mannheim all quit. Yes. I really appreciate you clarifying, because at this point, I was like, all of these men sound the same. Yeah. Right. I was so having a hard, kind, hard time keeping track of it. <laughs> now it's just Necro Butcher and Euronymous. So, Euronymous was pissed about Mannheim leaving because he thought that the band and tour was more important than jobs and girlfriends. Euronymous and Necro Butcher stood out. Stood out. Sought. Set. Fuck. <laughs> Euronymous and Necro Butcher set out to replace their vocalist. They stumbled upon a drummer called Jean Axel Blomberg, or Hellhammer, and vocalist Per Ingveolhen, or Dead, which Jake mentioned earlier. Hellhammer was a drunk, and he just wanted to spend his time partying and drinking, a trait that really pissed off the ever-serious Euronymous. He demanded that no alcohol be available before gigs, because if Hellhammer got drunk, he wouldn't be able to play, and playing was the most important thing. I mean, that's actually not a bad rule to have, but saying that to an alcoholic... Tough. Yeah. Tough. Now, Dead, on the other hand, was surprisingly a morbid character. They don't say. Yeah. Mm. Uh, He had previously been in a band called Morbid out of Schweden, and his way of auditioning for Mayhem was to send them a morbid demo with a letter and a crucified mouse inside. Yes, a real, dead, rotting, disintegrating mouse. But uh, they popped in his tape, and they loved it. Am I the only one who finds this hilarious? I think it's fucking great. Hey, bro, check out this crucified mouse I sent it with my demo tape. I mean, he had it right there. Seems like a bit of overkill. (laughs) That's another metal band. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm not sure overkill ever did anything that wild. No, I don't think so. (laughs) So, Dead Dead was also the kind of guy who just wouldn't even respond to you if he didn't know you. People would try to have a conversation with him. And he would just straight up ignore them. Like, they're standing in front of him talking to his face, and he would just fucking ignore them. That's Jake. Yes, probably (laughs) true. Yes, that is true. He had a dark sense of humor. He was deeply depressed and very apathetic. But once you spoke his language, he was apparently a great dude. My kind of guy. I feel like we would have gotten along great. Yeah. So Dead had become obsessed with death after his own near-death experience as a child, where he fell into freezing water. Um, and I don't know if y'all have watched the OA on Netflix, but this is an idea that's kind of explored in that show. It's fucking awesome. Spoilers. As a child, the, the main character, uh, she's fallen into freezing water and momentarily dies. And when she comes back, her eyesight is gone, but she has some crazy kind of like powers to jump dimensions and shit because she's been in purgatory or like the afterlife or whatever. It's really cool. 
Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I saw conflicting stories here. Some say an ice skating accident. That would uh, be one. Which could have been falling into the water, as you just mentioned. Other stories, uh, other stories say his spleen ruptured and he suffered severe internal bleeding. Please the bleeding. rupture was caused again by either an ice skating accident or being beaten up in school, according to his brother. Oof. Either way, he had a near-death experience. I'd prefer to think this guy is covered in corpse paint, skating around like Christy Yamaguchi, so thank you for that. Yeah, cute. <laughs> Necro Butcher described that Dead would hear music and see colors, which is kind of vague, but I'm assuming that he, when he's talking about this, he means outside of what normal people experience. <laughs> oh, well, because I was about to say, I too hear music and see colors when I listen to music and look at things. Yeah, maybe <laughs> he had synesthesia, which is a neurological yeah. condition in which, you know, information meant to stimulate one of your senses stimulates several of them at the same time. Mm -hmm. So those who that have that condition can associate colors with sound and all that jazz. Literally. Uh -huh. jazz. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Dead began reading everything that he could find from others with near-death experiences, and he basically became obsessed with the other side. I'm, I'm hearing break on through to the other side of the, the doors right now. <laughs> <laughs> there is a Netflix documentary that goes into near-death experiences from kind of all sides and angles. It's super interesting to watch. There was one lady who like had an auto body experience where she like watched herself get surgery Ooh. and she like, you know, when she came to and was telling the doctor like, Oh, this, I saw this. And he's like, there's no way she would have been able to, to either no. a, know what I was doing or see me because like she was asleep. <laughs> Um, there's a lot of really crazy stuff on there. It's certainly an interesting topic and I don't think there's enough research being done to explain to the commoners like us. I'm sure there's like an FBI file locked up somewhere in area 51. Mm. Um, but <laughs> at this point, yeah, it's really interesting to hear about that. Do you have to sneeze? I have to cough. Go ahead. I'll let you, I'll allow it. <laughs> um, it's just interesting because there's also kids. Well, I guess not near death. Um, there was a woman who had, um, a son and she just, as soon as he was born, she's like, he's going to die really young. And she like knew. Ugh. And then he did. It's crazy. She threw him? No, she didn't. <laughs> she was like trying to keep him safe. And then, you know, she let him go to this like skiing resort. And he ended up dying at the ski First resort. First mistake. Right? Don't let your son out of your sight. Don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. <laughs> All right. So. Dead started collecting dead animals that he'd found on the side of the road, and then he would keep them in his bedroom. It's probably cheaper than having live animals. Retweet. That, that's true. That was smell <laughs> so rancid. Imagine being that kid's parent. I don't think they gave a shit. Uh, he would literally huff dead animal no, scent to no. get in the mood to record. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Maniac, Maniac, one of their previous singers, uh, recalled holding a bag of dead crows for dead to huff before he laid down some vocals for his only two studio recordings, Freezing Moon and Carnage. I bet his immune system was a fucking beast. Probably. <laughs> um, like Jake said earlier, he would bury his clothes in dirt before shows dead would self-mutilate even during performances wow. cutting his arms on stage and letting his blood flow even though it made him a little woozy that's pretty serious if it's enough to make you woozy yeah, yeah he was losing of... some blood yeah so all of the guys lived with their parents of course so they decided to move in together in 1988 to a deserted house in the forest appropriate since none of them have jobs to pay rent and a black metaler's favorite place is the woods they can now sniff their dead animal carcasses in peace and I'm sure there's, like, ample amount in, like, hunting form. Gotta be. Gotta be. 
Now, living with a weird guy like Dead and a moody nerd like Euronymous did include its fair share of fights. The two would literally get into fist and knife fights over dumb shit like making too much noise or not being evil enough. Uh, <laughs> I, remember, I remember when we'd have uh, three-way knife fights at the house. Remember what? that? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> The three of us when we lived together? Yeah, like you guys are like con back and forth and <laughs> no. making bird noises. And we would have eagle fights. We would never knife. <laughs> yeah, eagle noise fights. Uh, things got increasingly difficult for the band. Dad had moved all the way to Norway. <laughs> Shut the... Whoa. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> What? Dad had moved all the way to Norway to be in the group, but obviously they had a hard time booking shows cutting yourself on stage, and throwing dead animals on the audience will tend to make that difficult, I think. I don't know. Sounds like a good date night to me. I'm telling your girlfriend. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's a biohazard, and maybe the venues just didn't want to be held liable. Yeah, that's probably a safe bet. So they didn't have any money to live or record, and things were not getting any better. Even Dead's bandmates knew that he was suffering from some sort of mental illness, and as he continued to isolate himself and fall deeper into depression, it was finally time for him to be exactly what he had always wanted to be, dead. Before we get into that, there may be a reason as to why dead was the way that he was. So we mentioned earlier that he had a near-death experience, uh, whether it was, it was an ice skating accident or from being bullied or... Uh, bullied or ugh. <laughs> whether it was an ice skating accident or from being bullied or whatever the important thing to know is that he did die at some point and was brought back by doctors or whoever it was uh, it was almost immediately after this that his obsession with death began well, many people believe he may have been suffering from what is called cotard delusion aka cotard syndrome or the aptly named walking corpse syndrome. That's uh, that already, <laughs> already sounds right. Yeah. Is that a band name? Walking corpse? Your Probably. B- your next band. Discovered by French neurologist Jules Cotard in the early 1880s. It's extremely rare with known cases numbering in the few hundreds. People with Cotard syndrome believe they are dead, dying, missing body parts, or that they or just anything doesn't exist. They tend to become less social. Some might stop talking. Some may hear voices telling them that they are dead or dying. Hmm. They might neglect their own hygiene or general health and stop eating and even harm themselves. Well, it's pretty on par. Yeah. It's not known what exactly causes Cotard syndrome, but it's usually a symptom of bigger problems and has been linked to dementia and schizophrenia, among others. Uh, Another potential cause is brain damage or a combination of that with other mental issues. When dead had his accident, it's possible he suffered brain damage. I would assume due to lack of oxygen mm-hmm. to his brain for too long before being revived. That would be my guess. Uh, a lot of the stories of him fit into this uh, depression, self-harm, not talking to people, being very withdrawn, trying to make himself smell dead even. Um, yeah. Of course, there's no way of knowing for sure, but it is very compelling and seems reasonable to assume to me. Interesting. On April 8th of 1991, Dead cut his wrists. He wandered around the house, bleeding until he stumbled upon Euronymous's shotgun. Then he shot himself in the head. When Euronymous got home later, the front door was locked. He went around to climb through Dead's window and found his body lying in his bed, his skull blown to bits, and his brain next to his body. According to the legends, Euronymous did not call the cops. Uh, some believe Euronymous was even provo- uh, provoking Dead to do it and even left Dead by himself on purpose so that he would kill himself because he'd been 
they say that he was kind of like poking at him, yeah. you know, trying to get him to do something. So Euronymous went into town, got himself a disposable camera, and messed with the crime scene. In a lot of our 27 Club episodes, we learned that friends who arrive on the crime scene usually try to make it less incriminating for the police by removing any drug paraphernalia. Euronymous did kind of the opposite. He staged a knife on top of the gun so that it would look more cool and snapped some photos for the band's new promo material. It's honestly disgusting. Um, also, he shouldn't be able to publish the photos or use them as material to market an album without some type of familial consent, mm. I would assume. I mean, it is Norway. Who knows the laws there? Or, you know, that if the family even knew or cared about it. And it was the mm. 1990s. Yeah. Dead left a suicide note, which read the famous line, excuse the blood, but I have slit my wrists and neck. It was the intention that I would die in the woods so that it would take a few days before I was possibly found. I belong in the woods and have always done so. No one will understand the reason for this anyway. To give some semblance of an explanation, I'm not a human. This is just a dream and soon I will awake. I was too cold and the blood was coagulating all the time. Plus, my new knife is too dull. If I don't succeed in dying to the knife, I will blow the shit out of my skull. Yet, I do not know. I left all my lyrics by Let the Good Times Roll, plus the rest of the money. Whoever finds it gets the fucking thing. As a last salutation, may I present Life Eternal. Do whatever you want with the fucking thing. Signed, Pella. P Pella was how he referred to himself. I didn't come up with this now, but 17 years ago. And the lyrics to Life Internal that were included, A dream of another existence. You wish to die. A dream of another world. You pray for death. To release the soul, one must die. To find peace inside, you must get eternal. I am immortal, but am I human? How beautiful life is now when my time has come. A human destiny, but nothing human inside. What will be left of me when I'm dead? There was nothing when I lived. What you found was eternal death. No one will ever miss you. Mm. Wow. <clears throat> okay. He wrote, he wrote that at 17, you said? He wrote that oh, 17, 17 years, years ago. ago. He was pretty young when he died, so he must have written that when he was three. I don't know how old he was. Yeah, <laughs> they he were was, they were all he was really, they were all really yeah, young. Yeah, that's something to keep in mind. All these when all this shit's happening, all these guys are like they're like teenagers. 19, 20, 21, 22, all early 20s. Mm. Yeah. So, Euronymous, ever the opportunist, later claimed that he was going to eat some of Dead's brain, but decided against it because it had been sitting out for too long. It's probably a good choice. You don't want to ruin a perfectly good day with some spoiled root temperature brain. That's, yep, yep. Don't want to get upset <laughs> tum-tums. Apparently, he opted to snag a few skull fragments and make pendants out of them instead. Obviously, this made him a suspect when the police were actually called. Even some black metalers believed Euronymous had a hand in Dead's demise, but his name was eventually cleared. It wasn't exactly a surprise to literally anybody that Dead had a death wish, his last words to Hellhammer having been about buying a very sharp knife. The image of Dead that Euronymous took was used as the cover art for the live bootleg Dawn of the Black Hearts. Mm, so much for consent. Yeah, if you're interested, you can find this on the Googler. Fair warning, though. It's not for the faint of heart. It's very disturbing. Don't look at it if this thing upsets you. This type of stuff upsets you in any way. Uh, otherwise, have at it. What do I care? Yeah. So one of my coworkers actually, I for some reason was having a discussion about this with him, and I I don't know why. I think we were just talking about the podcast in general, and I was like, oh yeah, this is the one we just finished. Here's what happened, and I was like, yeah. Then he took a picture of it. Of his friend who had just died and used it on the cover of their next 
fucking bootleg release. And he was like, what the fuck? There's a picture of it? So yeah, just type in Mayhem album cover or whatever. It'll pop up. And he looked it up and he was like, God damn it, Alex. This is the way that I'm ending my day. I was like, you typed it in. I told you exactly what it was and you still typed it in and you looked at it. Like, I can't fucking, what did you want me to do? I told you you would see his brain splatter. Yeah, because saying, no, don't look at it. Someone's going to want to see it more. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like, I told you what it was and you opted to look Mm -hmm. at it anyways. If I knew what it was and I decided I didn't want to see it, I wouldn't type it into fucking Google, man. I don't need to see that. I didn't show you the picture. I'm good. So, sorry. (laughs) Um, It is, it's fucked up. But um, it's hard to say if Euronymous was really actually unaffected by his close friend's suicide or if this was just his fucked up way of coping. In his own words, Euronymous claimed, when Dead blew his brains off, it was the greatest act of promotion he ever did for us. It's always great when someone dies. It doesn't matter who. In Orcustus Zine, Euronymous also said that Dead died because people were ruining the scene and that their nemesis of death metal was now funny and accepted. He said to kill yourself, which is, I'm assuming, a magazine, that Dead wanted to make evil music for evil people, but the only people he saw were walking around in jogging suits, caps, baseball shoes, and being into peace and love. He hated them so much... He saw no longer any reason to waste his time on them. That's messed up to turn it around on the people that were then considered fans, that it was their fault for letting other people into the music scene. And That's exactly what he said. He was uh, like, he, he looked around and all he saw were fucking nerds. Posers. So he decided he should just kill himself. Yeah. No. I mean, he might not be wrong, though. That's the thing. I don't think so. Uh. I think Dead was deeply depressed. Yeah. I think it was very much internalized his own self-worth and all of that like where is this going yeah he he What's he had happening? something going on upstairs definitely yeah. dead did you know I, I i don't think it's he he's not gonna kill himself over that that's just stupid no. yeah yeah well no but euronymous what we'll learn is he he is very much into publicity for the band he oh, will yeah. take anything he's to gross. the most extreme mm-hmm. extent that it can go just to publicize the band and get their name out there which is interesting because i thought that they weren't trying to be popular but he's a marketing guy so he will take whatever he can and spin it and i think he wasn't i guess outwardly upset about dead's death because he knew that that's what he always wanted all he wanted to do was die, so he wasn't like bothered by the fact on the outside. Yeah, so that is the first death and where we are going to end the part one of the Norwegian Black Metal Murders with a suicide. And coming up in the next episode, we are going to talk about two more deaths that happen following this. It gets even more fucked up. So, Cassie, yes. are you going to listen to Mayhem after this? No. I was playing some mayhem before we recorded this episode and she was like, bitch, what the fuck? Turn that off. You were coming. I could hear the speaker, the very like high end stuff of the speaker from like (laughs) where you parked in the front yard. And I was like, that sounds like shit. And then (laughs) as you got closer, Jake was like, yeah, it does. (laughs) You were listening to it, Jake. No. But from from that far away, all you you can hear is the 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 high end. end. Yeah. Once you bring it in, it's like, oh, there's the rest of the sound. Yeah. But that's also part of the recording, too. That's. (laughs) That's their authentic shit. sound. It's real shitty. Yeah. Cassie, did you make the playlist for this one or do no, I have to? You have to do it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sorry. I'll work on it. Um, cool. Well, make sure you tune in next week for part two. It's going to get even more brutal. 
And um, we're excited to share that with you. Thanks for everyone who requested this episode. Make sure that you guys follow our Facebook group. It's Death by Music Podcast fans. And um, yeah, happy season four. We'll, we'll be back. We'll find out. <laughs> well, it's not really happy. So far, not very happy. But thanks anyways. Rest in peace. Bye. Later. Music by Demons at Demons Band on Instagram. Artwork by Mike Johnson. Writing and production by Cassie Gardner, Alex Motler, and Jake.